In the early 1990s, Central Texas was in the middle of a massive drought, which seems crazy right now. But each week, a local church would gather on Wednesday nights to pray. And after about a month, the pastor recognized something that shook him to his core. He recognized that out of the whole congregation, there was just one lady, an elderly, quiet lady, who would show up with an umbrella. She did not just desire for it to rain, she expected it to rain. When we have hope in Jesus, our desires will be matched with an expectation that it's actually going to happen. Oftentimes when we use the word desire or when we use the word hope, we're just talking about desires. I hope it doesn't rain on my hike. I hope my professor does not ask me that really hard question on my study guide. That it's more just these things we want. But when we look at the Bible's definition, when we look at the dictionary definition, hope is not just desire. Hope is desire met with an expectation of fulfillment. It's an expected assurance. Romans 8 says that now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And I'll tell you what, when we wait for something with patience, we believe it's actually coming. We don't stay on hold thinking we're just going to be hung up on. And most of us tonight, as profession, professing followers of Jesus, we hope for a better world. We desire a better world. Jason talked about that last week, that that is part of who we are as kingdom people, is desiring and longing for a better world. But then we move to the next step. Do we desire it or do we now expect it? Do we hope in Jesus that a better world is coming or do we simply just have a dream or a delusion? Do you have hope that is matched with expectation? So the Old Testament prophet that I read earlier, Jeremiah, he is known for a lot of crazy things. Many of you probably know him for his famous for I know the plans I have for you, passage, maybe it was your senior quote. Um, I don't know if you know that right before he says you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Um, but that, that passage actually right there comes right before the passage I read to you. So we find Jeremiah in that passage in prison and prophesying two seemingly things in tension. He has prophesied and been told by God in Jeremiah 31 that the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people of Israel and Judah. I will put instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Yet, at the same time, which is what you heard when I was reading, he was prophesying that this land would be destroyed, would be taken captive. He even says, if you even fight against the Babylonians, you will never succeed. So we, here we have Jeremiah in prison. This land is about to be taken captive. People do not respect his job, do not respect him. 
And then we have God saying, hey, your cousin's about to come sell you the plot of land. And then his cousin comes and wants to sell him the plot of land, so Jeremiah's like, okay, God, I gotcha. So he buys this land, and he spends good money on it, and he does it in front of a whole lot of people. Now, does that make any sense? He's buying land that's about to be taken captive, a land that he will not get to enjoy or see because he's in prison. He bought this land as an act of hope. He had hope in a God who said he would restore his people back to this land. He had hope in a God that said he would do this. Someday people will again own property here in this land and will buy and sell houses and fields and vineyards. That is what he had hope in and so he acted. Buying a piece of property in the middle of a war zone while in prison. Now that is an expected assurance. Now that is an act of hope in God. And that story is awesome, right? This real estate story. But I think we ask that question, how could I ever do that? How could I buy a land in the middle of like knowing it was just going to be taken over? How could I have that kind of hope? Well, so many Old Testament authors and characters did. They had hope in a God that was coming. They had hope in a Messiah to come. And so they moved and hoped towards that. And for us, we're one step ahead of that. We don't just have hope in a God who is coming. We have hope in a God who has come. We have hope in Jesus Christ, who has come and dwelt with us, who has conquered death, who has resurrected and has that power. A God who we know loves us and desires the best for us. We have hope in Jesus, a Messiah who says he is going to restore all things. To unleash the captives, give them freedom, offer comfort for the brokenhearted, make all things new. We have a bright picture of this person, this God we have hope in. Where Jeremiah had this outline of this God that was coming, we have seen it in Jesus. Yet, we seem to not put our hope in Him. Instead, we find ourselves putting hope in circumstances. The things that we desire, that's what we end up finding our hope in a family to come, a family now. We find our hope in marriage and relationships and friendships and a job and getting the A and being wanted and desired and unique. Yet when those things let us down, when those things don't happen, we lose hope. We move towards despair because those things have died. 
and don't offer what we thought they would promise, they had promised us. It's not hard to believe that one of the things that takes you from feeling guilty to feeling shame is hopelessness. That when you feel guilty for making a mistake, but you lose hope, you say, well, I am the mistake. It didn't just lie, I am a liar. I wasn't just not wanted, I am unwanted. That when we lose hope, we want to hide and sink because we put hope into things that do not offer us life. We put hope into circumstances as opposed to Jesus. There was research done on rats, and the research was to see how long they could tread water. And what was interesting is they found that rats responded to hope. So the first group of rats, they would take and they would drop it in a tank and just leave them there. And these rats would tread for about 15 minutes before giving up and just sinking down. The next group of rats, they would put in, and then they would take them out after a little while, dry them off, let them rest, put them back in. Dry them off, let them rest, put them back in. And guess how long that group of rats, after they did that a few times, guess how long it took them, they could like tread water for? 60 hours. These rats could tread water for 60 hours because they believed they had hope in being rescued. That is why we can have hope in Jesus in all circumstances because we have hope in a God who has rescued us and will rescue us. Our hope is in Jesus. That is how we do not abandon our hope. So what does it look like for us to, in a similar manner, to take up our umbrella as we are going to pray for rain, to buy that plot of land? Well, it's going to look different for a lot of us to to expectantly be assured, to expectantly hope for something Maybe for some of you, it is going to be to ask for prayer for something. Okay, if I ask somebody out loud, then it means I really want it. Maybe it's going to mean donating a bunch of money. Maybe it will mean calling up that person because you know you don't want to call them because you know exactly how they're going to respond to a situation. But having hope in a God that wants reconciliation, you call them. And you don't give up even when they say exactly what you thought they were going to say. But before we even get to kind of how, how are ways that you can tangibly have that hope, you do need to ask that question. Do you have hope in Jesus or do you have hope in other circumstances, in other things, in desires, because we all have so many desires, and, and is our hope just in those desires, and if those things don't happen, then we are done? Or is your hope in Jesus, who plays a longer game, who has a bigger perspective than just right now? Because when we hope in Jesus, we, we often play the long game. And when we play the long game, we're following around with other forefathers of our faith 
We see this in Abraham as he is told that the, his descendants will be as many as the stars. We see that in Moses wandering around the desert for 40 years and the disciples waiting for Jesus to come back. And Jeremiah buying this property and us waiting for Jesus to come back. We play a long game because it's a big story. In 1 Peter 1, 3-6, we read this. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by the God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds. In this passage, we're told that hope in Jesus is this living hope. But he doesn't say here, you have hope and then your current circumstances are all going to be, woohoo, great. No, he says you're going to experience trials of various kinds. Yet he points you to this inheritance that is secured for you in heaven. And he tells you that, that there will be rejoicing in the midst of all of this, that that will be a fuel to move you there. He's saying that our hope is something that is even larger than the current moment. That he will heal the brokenhearted, that he will restore all things, that he will make all things new, that he has eternity to do that. And that in fact, he offers this resurrected life, a life after life after death. So when we have trials and things that hurt us here, when we experience death of loved ones, we mourn and we are sad and it is so hard Yet even in that, we can have hope because we know that Jesus has resurrection in store. We know that he has won, won the battle over evil. We know that he loves us and loves these people. And so he will make these things good. He has eternity to do that. We have hope in a bigger picture, a longer game. And in our history, we've seen that a lot. People playing this longer game with a tangible hope. Look at the civil rights movement. So many people had hope in Jesus who was about freedom and equality of all people. And so they had sit-ins and protests hoping for freedom and equality that they and who they might not experience, but maybe their children's children's children because they had hope in Jesus. We see this tangible hope in a guy on his deathbed offering $2 million to a church he would not be a part of. We see this in people planting giant shade trees in the middle of hot deserts 
for years and years later, other people to have a relief from the sun. We see this when your fellow students don't cross boundaries with their boyfriends or girlfriends because they want to honor that boyfriend or girlfriend's future spouse, even if it's them. We see this in choosing a roommate for next year. Not just somebody that is going to be really fun and encourage unhealthy habits, but somebody that is going to challenge you. You see that in people that speak truth and love to you. They're playing the long game. Might not feel good now, but they have hope in Jesus and what he's doing. Tomorrow, the house is going on campus and giving away $2,000. Now, do we need money to run? Yes. But do we have hope in a Jesus who is generous and wants a generous generation? Yes. Did the donor and the foundation donors that are granting this money to us, are they going to see what this money, what is done with this money? Are they going to see this generation of generous people rise up? Maybe not. I mean, we hope to share stories with them. But do they have hope in Jesus and his generosity and what he can do with the next generation? Yes. In the story of Jeremiah buying this property, at the end there it says that God tells him to put this lease this deed into jars so that people would see it for generations to come, that they would see that lease and remember the hope that Jeremiah had in God and see how he has fulfilled his promise. Sometimes when things are hard, it means that we move with our tangible hope so that other people can see what God is up to, to see this hope we have in Jesus. Because it's hard to have hope in something that is invisible sometimes. So we can show that off in a visible manner to people. Reverend William Whedon says this beautifully about Jeremiah. Jeremiah hoped in an invisible future. And as far as we know, he kept hoping all his life. We are tested often to our breaking point we, when our hopes aren't fulfilled. We may have all sorts of hopes and dreams and have to live with them and their failures one by one. But Jeremiah tells a story that it's worth waiting and that we should always trust. Now, that doesn't mean that we're these Pollyannas. No, we're believing realists. I mean, the story of Jeremiah continues and he cries out to God and he's like, why did I do that? Like, is this ridiculous? And God reminds him, he says, I will find joy doing good for them and I will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in that land. But we have this ability to say, God, why? This is a hard. How can I have hope in something that I do not see? This circumstance does not feel good. And God responds. Because you know what? We have hope in a living God. 
in something that is alive, not dead. We have hope in Jesus. That first Peter passage says that we have a living hope, and it can be a living hope because it is a hope, something that is alive and has conquered death. Jesus. What's interesting is that the Latin word for hope and the Latin word for breath are the same word. Breath. And what makes sense is when you flip it and you say, okay, so that means despair means like suffocating. Yes, that is what despair feels like, suffocating. But to think that hope is similar to breath. That when we have hope, it puts life into the things that we are doing. Jesus is able to breathe life into our circumstances as we hope in him. And this hope is not just one that is a long game one. Because this hope is alive, it's active right now too. It is in the middle of your circumstances. See, Jesus came to earth to dwell with us, to give us his Holy Spirit, to carry our burdens, to offer us endurance, and to say, you don't just have to hope in what is to come, but I'm going to let you hope in what is right now because I'm a part of this right now as well. And sometimes that means our hopes have to shift and change depending on circumstances. But he's in it here and now as well. I had a convo with a core group leader last night and she was really upset because she's having to move. She told me, I I thought and prayed so hard about being a leader because I wanted to be with these girls till their graduation. I had dreams about sitting at their graduation and now I won't be able to do that. And she was like, "I, I feel bad about being their leader. And I was like, no way. Just because a circumstance has changed does not mean that there's not still hope for the time she spent for the group and hope for the next four months she will be with them. Because she shouldn't just give up now because that circumstance has changed. No, she gets to spend time with them, love them, mentor them, teach them about Jesus in the months to come right now. But we do that. We say, well... This, this situation is not perfect, so I'll wait till it is. I don't have the, uh, enough money to give. I don't have that right job. I, I am not married, so I don't have to get rid of this addiction yet. That we, we wait for what this perfect circumstance for this thing we're hoping for to then have hope in the moment. But no, Jesus has come with this alive hope for right now, in the present, as well as in the future. And that's what it looks like to let his hope breathe into us. That when our circumstances seem to be destroyed, he is not. So for many of you, you have lots of hopes for things that are really good, things that the Lord would have. You have hope and healing from a mental illness, anxiety, depression, You have hope for freedom from an addiction for a friend. You have hope for a restored relationship with your family. And you can see that Jesus will bring those things, that he will bring you healing 
one day, that he will offer freedom for your friend one day, that he will restore relationships one day. But you're not seeing that right now, and we don't know when you will. So how do you have hope in Jesus in this moment? You live saying, God, what would you have me doing even in the midst of my anxiety, my depression? What are ways I can offer creative outlets because I see the world differently to other people? How can you hope in Jesus in the middle of your friend's addiction? How do you find ways to love them, to make them laugh, to make them know they're worth something, even in this circumstance? How do you receive affirmation and give affirmation to other people when you're not receiving it from the people you want to? How do you have hope and allow your words to encourage and others to encourage you? What I'm saying is that even when we hope for circumstances that are good, that are in Jesus, that aren't happening, we can still find ways to have hope in the current moment just need to look where Jesus is telling us to buy land, where Jesus is telling us to go. There's a picture of another prophet in the Bible, and he is told to go and to breathe life into dead bones. There's a whole mess of bones strewn about. And so he goes and he speaks life and speaks breath into them. They rise up. That is what Jesus is asking of you, telling you, he's offering to you, I should say. He wants to breathe into these places of hopelessness and say, I can be hoped in. I bring life. He wants to breathe life to these dead places because we can hope in Jesus. You can have hope in Jesus. Tonight, as we end, I have some questions I would love for you guys to discuss, whether in your living room or on Zoom afterwards. First, what is it that you're hoping in that isn't directly a hope in Jesus? There's lots of things that can be great. Families are great. Marriages are great friends and all of this. But where is it that you're putting your hope that you're recognizing if it is gone, the thing doesn't happen, then your hope is gone? What are you hoping in that isn't directly Jesus? And then next question is, what are you hoping in that is Jesus? What's interesting is that oftentimes our hope comes out of groaning. And we talked about that last week. Where are you groaning? So maybe if you're like, I don't know where I'm hoping for in Jesus, ask that question. What, what were you answering last week? Where are you groaning? And what are you hoping for in that? And then, how can you move to tangibly expect that thing? What can you do to say, hey, I am hoping in Jesus. Now I'm expecting it to happen. So go, bring those umbrellas, buy that plot of land. Trust 
in Jesus, even in the midst of a messy, painful time. Grab that umbrella. Trust in Jesus. Have hope in Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, may we be people that have hope in you, in your long game, and in you here carrying our burdens with us. Thank you for stories of Jeremiah that we can be encouraged by, challenged by. Thank you that you are a living hope, that we get to have hope in you, and you are alive and with us and love us dearly. We love you so much and pray this all in your name. Amen.